Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. On their wedding day, couples wear distinct clothing that indicate that their lives are about to change. In our second installment of Say Yes to the Dress, we will discover God transforms us inside and out, which means new understandings and behaviors according to His holiness. Well, today, as as we begin our, our message time, we're going to talk about something that probably most dads will dread if they have a daughter. Uh, <laughs> Um, the reality of it is, is that when a woman meets the man that she loves and is going to go and, and marry this man someday, we know that there are multiple steps that that woman takes to get to the wedding day, right? To move from being daddy's girl or, or, or an independent woman to a wife of another, an, another man. And there's one part in the wedding preparation process that no no groom is ever a part of because we're not a part of it, but then also dads might not look forward to. And that is dress shopping, right? (laughs) Down here in front of me right now, this is actually Brooke's wedding dress. I I asked her to bring it so that it could be something I could point to, right? But wedding dresses are, and the, the, the concept of buying a wedding dress, guys oftentimes stand outside of it, and we look and we're like, why is this such a deal, right? Right? Why? It needs to be perfect. I need exactly this kind of thing, and it needs to do this. And we're like sitting here, it's just like, it's just a dress. It's not that big of a deal, right? Right? Guys, are you with me on that? Do you understand why girls take so long to pick out an outfit in the mornings? Some of, wait, let me take that back. Some guys have problems picking out outfits in the morning. Let's not be over, oh, thank you. We have a teenager who is unbelievably self-conscious and is pointing to himself. I struggle with that, so good for you. The reality of it is, though, is why is the dress so important? Why is a dress so important in the wedding? Why is it so important that just be this right kind of style, this right kind of, you know, whatever that it is that they're looking for. Why are there shows called Say Yes to the Dress? <laughs> right? That's probably about money. But anyways, but more so, I think there's a deeper understanding that on the day of a wedding, a woman goes to another man, goes down an aisle, And she says, you, for the rest of my life. And he says, you, for the rest of my life. And the grooms wear stuff, too, right? Let's be honest. Grooms wear tuxes a lot of the times, unless, you know, you're getting married on a beach. Some people like to do Hawaiian, whichever. But a lot of times, there is a whole process of picking out all these things. And the reason why I believe that the coordination and colors and dresses and all these things are so important isn't the underlying symbols But it is a ceremony where the life of that man and that woman changes forever. It changes forever. They go from being single guy and single girl to married, and their paths become one for the rest of their lives. And so wearing something is a symbol of that transformation. 
a woman goes from independent, daddy's little girl, whatever you want to, whatever these different kinds of things that we call ourselves, to a bride. And when she puts that dress on, she is transformed into a bride, right? It's important. It's not just because of pictures. It's not just because of all these other things. It's because this is a life-changing moment. Think about that for a second. Every single time we have life-changing moments, we have ceremonies, don't we? Think about that for a moment. When you graduate from school, what do you wear? A cap and a gown. Well, why do you wear a cap and gown? It's symbolic because you are moving from student into the next phase of life. Oftentimes, we don't like to talk about this. Funerals is a huge transition in life, and we have ceremonies, and we get dressed up into our suits, into whatever it is. We bring flowers, and we say words because it's a transition from life into the next, right? Ceremonies come with specific attire that we are to wear. Not because it's... Not because it's, it's the right thing to do. It's because it means something far greater than just the clothes that we wear. Now, if you're here for the very first time and you're wondering, Matt, why are you spending so much time talking about weddings and dresses and tuxes and all these things? It sounds like you have a lot of time on your hands to think this through. <laughs> and plus, this is Father's Day, and this is a weird topic right now. Well, the reason why I've, we, we started out this way is because, quite frankly, we are looking at a metaphor that we find in Scripture about the people who follow Jesus, the church, okay? And a number of New Testament writers use, uses this metaphor in their writings to describe the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And so what we've been doing, we started last week and we continue today, is we begin to journey alongside this metaphor to prepare the, the preparation of a wedding that a bride goes through and how it has to do with our lives in Christ. What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? And so last week we briefly talked that we, we talked through the proposal. Right? We talked through, hey, will you marry me? And we talked that Jesus brought his proposal to the world by living and dying and resurrecting and ascending into heaven so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins and that you and I would have new life. And that new life extends into eternity. This is, this, that's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. That the God of the entire world loves us so much that he would sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins and he would raise and promise us new life today. So, we went through the proposal last week and we discovered that along this journey, just like a bride, we begin to say yes to certain things and no to other things in our life of faith. I mean, think about it. A once, a once somebody says, yes, I'm going to marry you, you stop talking to that ex who keeps on coming around and saying, hey, you want to go out with me? You don't do that anymore, right? 
There's, there, you are betrothed. You are committed. You are moving in. But then you, also, you start saying no to those pesky old exes, and you, you begin to make decisions with your future spouse about what life is going to be like, where you're going to live, how you're going to, to, to receive money, all these different kinds of things. That's the, that's the part of the engagement that a lot of people don't recognize that you begin to do. You begin figuring out all, this, all these different circumstances. And so, just like that, in the Christian life, we are called away from old realities and we are called into new realities, right? So today, we're going to continue this journey. We're going to continue this journey of what it means to follow Jesus, of what it means to answer the call that he has upon us. Be holy, for I am holy. And today, we're going to read in the epistle to the Ephesians. Now, again, if you're not around the church very often, an epistle is a letter. And it is a letter to a church in Ephesus. And this particular letter is written by Paul. Paul is in prison for his faith. In other words, he has gone all around and he said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he's been put in jail for this. But he's still trying to encourage and help his brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus. So he sends this letter. And in particular, this church is struggling with how to live out a faithful life when this person is from this, this part of the city and this person comes from this religion over here and this person is this, this stature in economics and this person over here is way down here in economics. They're trying to understand how do we live out the love that Christ has given us. And so the entire letter is about this. And so as Paul begins to share with them what Jesus has done, he also very, very clearly and concisely shares how to live out that love, how to live out that holy life. And so we read today in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17, it will be up on the screen for you. So I am telling you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You shouldn't live your life like the Gentiles anymore. They base their lives on pointless thinking, and they are in the dark in their reasoning. They are disconnected from God's life because of their ignorance and their closed hearts. They are people who lack all sense of right and wrong and who have turned themselves over to doing whatever feels good into practicing every sort of corruption along with greed. But you didn't learn that sort of thing from Christ. Since you really listened to him and you were taught how the truth is in Jesus, change the former way of life that was part of the person you once were, corrupted by deceitful desires. Instead, renew the thinking in your mind by the Spirit and clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness." Saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to following Jesus means that there begins a shift in life. And Paul bluntly puts it, hey, don't live like Gentiles. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, what is, what is a Gentile? Okay, In this moment, Paul uses the word Gentile to describe somebody 
who doesn't believe in God at all or believes in a, in a philosophy that basically looks to serve themselves. In other words, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the Spirit. They believe in doing whatever feels good or whatever it tickles their ears or whatever gives them that rush of feel-goodness. You know what I mean? And so Paul says, hey, don't, don't live like them because you have to realize that Jesus, what He did for you, has given you a new way to live, a new reality, a new, a new way to be human. Any, any 90s Christian rock fans remembering that Switchfoot song? New way to be human. Nobody. I was weird. Okay. All right. <laughs> right? And so to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, to believe that He has forgiven our sins and given us a new life, we live that new life. But it doesn't matter where you are whenever you first heard this good news. Jesus meets you right there. Jesus meets the liars. Jesus meets the murderers. Jesus meets the good people who have only told five white lies in their entire life. God meets you exactly where you are, no matter how and what you have done. No matter who you think you are, no matter how you define yourself. So, so many times we define ourselves. We are the ones who say who we are. God comes to you and says, look, I love you. And I am calling you into new life. I love you so much. I have given myself to you. I forgive you. Come, follow me. I think N.T. Wright says this so well. God accepts us where we are. But God does not intend to leave us where we are. I think so many people believe that, oh, I just, I just come to God and everything stays the same. No, God is looking to transform every part of your life. It's not just actions, it's belief, it's, it's thoughts, it's words, everything. Because He has shown us how to live in His Son, Jesus Christ, who loves us so much, He would give of Himself for us, friends. So just like last week, to be holy as God is holy, it starts with God. It starts with Him. And so we begin to wonder, how in the world do we do this? How, do, how are we transformed? Is it something I do? Is it about... Being in church three out of four times a month? Is it about being in a discipleship group? Is it about making myself better? Is it about clinching down and saying, I will not do this? Well, Paul pre presents to us something that is unbelievably counterintuitive. Here the, do you see this, friends? He says, change the formal way of life by renewing the thinking in your mind by the Spirit. Huh? What does it mean to renew your mind in the Spirit? What does it mean to change that reference of how we do what we've always done? You know that you do, you do habits and you do things and you react in ways because you have always done them. 
Because at some point in life, somebody wronged you, somebody hurt you, somebody just totally betrayed your confidence, somebody didn't love you. And so often we turn to thinking this way, we turn to this action, we turn to all of these things that give us comfort. But sometimes those things are not good. For the person who is drowning in sorrows and turns to a bottle of Jack Daniels and drinks it all in one night to, to get away from it, it's not good. To the person who turns to heroin because the pain is just too much and this pill isn't enough anymore, it's not good. For those of us who react to people who hurt us and we snap back and we want to be right and we want to be and we want to hurt them because we've been hurt. That's not right. But we do these things because it's what it makes us feel better. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Renew your mind in the spirit. Open yourself up to the spirit the one who is upon you, you who have said yes to Christ. Say yes to how the Spirit guides you in the moments that you want to do what you want to do and that small voice in the back of your head says, don't! Maybe the Spirit sounds more masculine to you. Don't! Don't do this! I will provide you a way forward to live the way that Jesus taught. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. So, friends, it's, it's not even this concept where Christianity and, and following Jesus is about bettering ourselves. It's about opening ourselves to God for Him to work something new in us so that we don't say yes to that temptation. So that we begin to see the world as Jesus sees the world. So we begin to love people and we stop putting labels on people and we stop seeing people of what they've done or where they're from. I remember in college, they talked all the time that, that we need to have Christ-colored glasses to see the world. And the only way that you receive these awesome spectacles, I like these ones, by the way, is by opening yourself up to God completely in his love and his mercy and his holiness. And when these things begin to change, when this internal shift happens, we begin to live differently. Our actions become different. Our words become different. Our very behavior changes. Our behavior reflects love God and love your neighbor in everything. Because let's really be honest. Love is not just what you say, and it's not just a feeling. It's a life. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a way of life. Just like coming back to the metaphor of the bride and the groom. You love somebody, well, while you're waiting to get married, you don't go and do A, B, C, or D before you get married. 
right? We all have these standards in a romantic relationship. So why do we not think that in our love for other people that we don't change our behavior and how we see them and how we speak to them and how we love them? Of course we do. Jason Matters says this so well, love is perfected only when complemented by a focus on behavior. And so Paul doesn't just talk about being renewed in the spirit. He also says another metaphor. Clothe yourself with the new human who brings justice and holiness and righteousness. Now, if you're like, what? Okay, this is actually very common. Paul uses the new human often, actually, in his writings. He talks about this concept that we as humans were created good. But guess what? We done messed up. We have not, we, we've taken all of our different abilities and powers and we've used them for ourselves and we have not loved. So he sends Jesus Christ to show us who, how humans were to be originally, but also what we can be. Jesus is the new human. He is clothed in this righteousness and this justice and this holiness and in this love. And Paul says to these believers, clothe yourselves in this new human. Clothe yourselves in Christ. May everything that Jesus is be on you. It's like when a bride puts on her wedding dress. She's no longer the person who she was. She is now a bride. And everybody knows on that wedding day, who is having their life changed completely? Clothe yourself with Christ. Clothe yourselves with everything that Jesus is. William Greathouse says this. It's so good. When as sinners we appropriate God's grace by a personal act of saving faith in Christ, we are recreated and transferred to the order of Christ in which grace reigns in righteousness. In other words, when you, you and I say yes to Christ, we are transferred into this new way of living, this different kind of living, this holy way of living. And you know what reigns in it? It's grace, it's righteousness, it's good, it's love, it's joy, it's hope, it's peace. Every, just, it just oozes out of our pores. So the internal work is renewing our mind in Christ. The, when that happens, we clothe Christ and people begin to see Jesus in us. God loves you so much. He comes to you where you are, but then he calls you forward. So if you're wondering, so um, what does this life look like? I've got good news for you. Paul shares it with us. We're going to continue in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 25. Hear these things. I want you to notice something, okay? Before we even do this, I want you to notice that for everything that Paul says not to do, he offers a new reality to live into. It's never just... It's, it's, it's not this, 
A life in Christ isn't, 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 isn't. It's not negative. It is you leave this to live this. Okay? I want you to notice that immediately. Okay? Here's what he says. Therefore, after you have gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whoever is in need, which that is totally opposite to what we're normally used to. We work for ourselves. No, work so that people around you wouldn't have needs. Isn't that an unbelievable concept, friends? Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Hey, speak the truth, but also it matters how you say the truth. And maybe there's moments where you don't say something because if it's not going to benefit, hey, zip it. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Instead, I added that, be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. All of this is coming from Christ, friends. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. Sexual immorality and any kind of impurity or greed shouldn't even be mentioned among you, which is right for holy persons. Obscene language, silly talk, or vulgar jokes aren't acceptable for believers. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. Because you know for sure that the persons who are sexually immoral and pure or greedy, which happens when things, things become gods, those persons won't inherit the kingdom of Christ. That's pretty, it's pretty clear. Any of you confused? Usually at this point, right, we as humans like to go, well, it says this, so what is the line? And that's not what he's saying. He's saying live into these ways because God has done something new in you. Don't be, don't be worshiping things don't be worshiping yourself. Don't be worshiping your body. Don't be worshiping this person. Don't be worshiping this power. Don't be worshiping this government, this possession, this thing, this, that, these or those. Let it go because if you don't, you will do all of the things that you shouldn't be doing in a holy life. It's true, friends. And I can't tell you that this has been the struggle that the church has had for decades. We still put things as our idols. And that gives us the excuse to do what we do that doesn't share love, that isn't becoming of Christ, that isn't holy. It's those moments when 
Well, this is the truth, and I'm going to say it the way I'm going to say it. You have something idolatrous in your life. Because if it's all about you being right or being truthful, and you say it in a mean-spirited way that doesn't look to benefit others, you have something else as your God. Sexuality is something to be treasured in the, the gift of marriage. But if you say things like, it's me, and it's, it's what I want, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it, your body is your God. If you begin to say things, people say, you seem to be an angry person. No, that's just the way I am. No, you probably have something that you've never let go of. And that anger drives your willingness to win the argument, to be manipulative, to be whoever it is that you want to be. Friends, we do things because we've experienced things that hurt us. And Paul is saying, leave all of it. It's not based on what feels good. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on Christ and Christ alone. Renew your mind in the Spirit and clothe yourself with Him. Does this mean you're going to be perfect? Does it mean that you're not going to have passions or temptations? Absolutely not, friends. You're going to be tempted when you leave this place today. You're going to be tempted to be angry with somebody who probably doesn't deserve those words. You're probably going to be tempted by your computer screen or when you become lonely. You're going to be tempted in the moments of, of treating others like they're not human. Because it's about what I, it's about me. It's about my stuff and my security and me feeling good. You know that, right? Most people hate people because they are threatened and they fear. They are not secure. You will not be exempt from feeling these passions, these temptations, friends. So what it means, I've got a slide for this, what this means to live out this holy life, to be renewed in Christ, go back. Oh yeah, that's it, yeah. The holy life involves constantly turning away from sinful behavior. That doesn't mean we become completely free of passions or temptations. A living out a holy life means turning away from the ways that we've always done life. And that's tough, because we've probably done those things a lot longer than living out the holy life. Let's really be honest. Habits are habits for a reason. Now, if you're a person who's hearing all this, and what you're hearing me say is, see, Christianity has always been about the rules. Do this and do not do this, and you're always telling me what to do with my life and all these different kinds of things. <sighs> I get it. It's, it looks that way. But I want you to notice something. These actions are not asked of everybody. These actions are asked of those who have turned their lives to Christ and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. The standards, the moment you say yes to Christ and his forgiveness in his life, changes. 
And the reason why it changes isn't because God wants you to not do this or that. It's because God loved you so much and He knows you. He knows you so well that He knows what is best for you. He knows what's going to hurt you. He knows that if you react in this way to somebody else, that relationship gets severed. And then all of a sudden, you haven't talked to this person for so long because you gave in to anger. Wouldn't it be better to go through those differences in a more calm and peaceful way? God understands the destruction of the violence we do to each other. God understands that He created us in a world that was not designed to be violent. He designed us to be in mutual love with one another. And that all the conflicts that we have in our world are self-inflicted. He understands this, friends, because He created you. He loves you. He's not looking to to be, do this or else. He's looking for you to trust him. To trust that the way that he made this world and the way that he has shown us love through his son, Jesus Christ, is actually indeed what love really is. If you want to live in this new life, if you want to live in this amazing life, this holy life that is different from the rest of the world, it's time to renew our minds in Christ and clothe ourselves with him. I love, I, I love this. A lot of times we think about obedience as the legal terms, do's and don'ts. And let's really be honest, the church has been really good about talking about the legal side of things for a long time. Let's really be honest about this. There's a reason why we have PR that says, oh, you church, you guys don't do that? Ugh. I'm going to go do this over here, right? It's because we have hammered home the do's or don'ts so much that we haven't actually recognized that the do's and don'ts come from an unbelievable position of having the Spirit in our lives. That God, when we begin to rely on God, He provides for us in such a way we are free from doing those things. It's not self-improvement. It's God causes us, helps, begins to form us in such a way that those things that we used to do don't even look that good anymore. Obedience isn't just a legal relation. It's an act of trust. Obedience isn't just following the rules, but an openness to communion with the one who has the best interests for our lives. God doesn't give you these rules and say, hey, go and do it. God gives us this so that we are in constant community with Him. We are in constant relationship with Him. We are in constant dependence upon Him. We recognize that every good thing in our lives has come from Him. We recognize that He is working in our lives in great ways that we never expected before. He has provided the way forward to live the holy life, friends. So friends, all of these things isn't just for 
how we talk on Sunday mornings or how we see each other on Sunday mornings. It's not just in the moments where you're around your family and, and you look to show to be that, that Christ follower. It's not just at work and it's not, it's in the moments when you are your, in your lowest, when you're most lonely, where you turn to God and you look to enjoy communion with Him and He helps you in that moment. It's relying on the Spirit in such a way that in every nook and cranny of our lives, we are transformed by His Spirit, friends. If you're waiting for the church word, this is what we call the process of sanctification. <laughs> Some of you are church nerds and you just want to hear these words. But it's why label it whenever it's so, it's, it's so much brighter whenever you just talk about this life that is so dependent upon God that you say no to these things and say yes to these. Now, there is a whole other angle to this passage. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but do you notice that Paul talks about words a lot? In fact, words and how we say them and, and what we're saying, speech, in other words, seem to be very important. And there's a whole other sermon on that, and we don't got time for that. But I did want to point this out. That, that the, I think the reason why he talks about speech so much is that speech is the way that you and I communicate so much. I mean, actions, too. But let's really be honest. If you want to share your heart with somebody, if you want to share your position... You're not going to mime it. Right? Can you imagine? Parents, I want you to try the parenting by mime approach this week. So when they did something wrong, just go. I don't even know what I just did, but I think, it would, I, think I just told the, the child to not put their hand on the stove. But anyways, right? We communicate through words. Our words matter. And then I started thinking about the wedding day. People change from single to married. Actually, it's not even when they put on the tux or when they put on the dress. It's actually when they say, you from here on out. The vows, right? for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. All this vow that is said. And that, it can't be empty. There have to be actions for a marriage to work out. When somebody is sick and not feeling well, yeah, you as the spouse, you got to do some extra things around the house. You have to make sure that they're okay. Yes, ladies, when dads get their man colds, just let them wail. And even though that you go through childbirth, we all know that the man cold is way worse. Guys, you're supposed to say amen, right? Amen. Now, uh, <laughs> in the moments when money is tight and it's so easy to put the blame on the other, it's important to take responsibility together. We spent this money together. The reason why we don't have enough is not because of you. It's because we didn't talk this out and decide and do it together. See, the, the vows that we say, the vows that are said on a wedding day, 
come with a whole new way of life, a behavior. And if you think to yourself, well, how do you get to that point in a relationship? How do you get to that point where you really trust that that vow is really going to be lived out day in and day out? How did you get to the moment at the altar of that wedding day? You spent time with one another. You communicated with one another. You began living your life differently before that. You began to listen to them and you began to develop a trust that this person really does love you, that this person really is going to stick by you, that this person really is going to serve you in a way that is holy and sense that, friends? Words are the ways that we begin to understand that somebody does have our best interest involved, that somebody does actually indeed love us the way they say they love us. And the good news, friends, is that the God who is calling you into a new life, a life of forgiveness, a life of grace, a life of holiness, has said and acted in such a way to show that love, friends. It was when he lived and when he died and he raised from the grave. He said, you can have new life today. And I get it. If you're like, I don't know if I can trust that. Trust takes a while. But hear the words of Jesus. He so loved the world. He so loved each and every one of us that he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He so loved the world that he gave his life so that we could have new life, everlasting life, friends. That's the good news. See, just like last week, friends, just like last week, Jesus has proposed to us Jesus has proposed to us through his death and resurrection. Will you say yes to him? Will you clothe yourself in him? Would you allow the spirit to guide you and direct you what is good and what is not good, what is right and what is wrong, what is beneficial and what is... Would you clothe yourself in his holiness? Will you say yes address. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning for our service, which begins at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street, Northwest in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, please visit us at championnaz.org.